Well, I invite you to take your Bibles this evening once again and turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 10. The Gospel of John, chapter 10. And continuing on in this series, I've entitled God's Amazing Grace. The question that I want to ask and answer tonight is, does Jesus, the Good Shepherd, preserve His sheep? Does Jesus, the Good Shepherd, preserve His sheep? Can any of His sheep lose their salvation? Same question asked another way. Do all of Christ's sheep persevere in the faith? Is it the overall custom or habit of their lives to follow the Good Shepherd? Do God's children keep themselves saved? Or does God keep them saved? John 10, beginning in verse 27. Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. And if you will, turn over to John chapter 17, and as I read verses 1 through 23, I want to encourage you to pay close attention to the synonymous phrases Jesus uses that are in harmony with those truths He declares in John chapter 10, these truths that we've been examining over the last two weeks. John chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine. And I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. 
While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept. And none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that Thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as Thou hast loved me. So back to the question at hand. Does Jesus, the Good Shepherd, preserve His sheep? Is it possible for any of His sheep to completely abandon their shepherd or for the shepherd to abandon his sheep? Will all of Christ's sheep persevere in the faith? Answering these questions through the words of Jesus Christ himself, given to us in God's authoritative, inspired, unerring, and preserved word, let me in my first point assert that Jesus has promised that His sheep will persevere in their faith because they are preserved by Him. Let me say it again. Jesus' sheep will persevere in their faith because they are preserved by the Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ. And this is point number one. And under this first point, let me from our text give you two truths side by side. These two truths that I have just mentioned to you. Subpoint number one, the sheep's persevering faith. John 10, 27 and 28, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So then the question becomes, how long do they follow him? For time or forever? Well, the assumption, the inference is forever. From the time, John chapter 10, verse 3, that the Good Shepherd calls His sheep unto Himself from this world and from their sin, we see that the Good Shepherd leads them unto everlasting life. John chapter 17, verse 6, I have manifested Thy name unto the men which Thou gavest Me out of the world, Thine they were, and Thou gavest them me, and they have kept Thy 
word. Jesus is saying this to the Father. They, speaking of the disciples, and then speaking of those who have come to believe on His name, they have kept His word. In other words, they, the sheep, have persevered in the faith. That's point number one. The sheep's persevering faith. Sub-point number two, the shepherd's preserving grace. The sheep persevere because the good shepherd preserves his sheep. John 10, 27 and 28. Again, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. No man is able to pluck the sheep from the sheepfold. John 17, verse 12. While I was with them in the world, I, Jesus said, kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept. And none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. And then John seventeen fifteen. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. Also translated as the evil one. That thou, Father, would keep them from the evil one who is the devil himself. Who hates God, God's purposes, God's people, and God's mission through the disciples. Jesus declares that the Father will keep them from evil. John 10, John 17 are unified in declaring the truth that there is coming a time in which all the sheep shall be gathered together in one fold. And for this to happen, two things need to happen. If there is going to be one fold, then the sheep must persevere in the faith and the good shepherd must preserve his sheep. John ten sixteen, And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. This is a promise. Jesus is going to lead his people in the way that they should go. He's going to lead them out of their sin. He's going to lead them Sometimes through the valley of the shadow of death, He is going to deliver them from their trials and troubles so that one day there will be one fall. John 17, 20 and 23, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them. Speaking of us, at this time, who were not yet born, who have not yet believed, but will believe. But for them also which shall believe on Me through their word that they all may be one, as Thou, Father, art in me and I in Thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that Thou hast sent me, and the glory which Thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and Thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one. Christ's sheep will persevere in their faith because... They are kept, preserved, led, encouraged, strengthened, protected by 
the good shepherd. So stating the same truth in a different way, the truth being emphasized in these verses is the repetitive apostolic message that what God starts in the souls of His sheep, He finishes. What God starts by way of salvation, He continues through the process of sanctification and then finally glorification. And again, lest you think I am pressing this truth into one text or two texts in the Gospel of John, let me remind you of what we've been uttering the past several weeks. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. Paul says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called, and whom He called, them He also justified, and whom He justified, them He also glorified. There's the golden chain. The one who started will be the one who finishes. Jesus is the good shepherd. He preserves his sheep. And through that preserving grace, the sheep persevere onward. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident, Paul says, Of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. See the success of the gospel. See the triumphant message of Jesus' saving power through his death, burial, and resurrection. He who started the good work in you through salvation will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-5 through five, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. 2 Timothy 1, verse 12, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And am persuaded that He, God, is able to keep that which I've committed unto Him against that day. The author of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1, calls Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the one who has founded our faith. He's the one who perfects our faith. He started it in our souls, and by His grace and power, He will keep it. Point number one, the sheep 
persevere in their faith because the shepherd preserves by his grace. The sheep persevere in their faith because the shepherd preserves in his grace. Now, having stated this unmistakable biblical truth, I need to clarify in my second point the sad reality that it is possible for Christ's true sheep to stray from the shepherd and fall into serious sin. That's point number two. There are times in which Christ's true sheep stray from the shepherd and fall into serious sin. And the classic example given to us in Scripture highlighting this second truth is the human shepherd king who writes of the divine good shepherd in Psalm 23. Most of you know that I'm referring to David, the one who is described in Scripture as the man after God's own heart. Looking to the overall testimony of David's life, who can deny that David was a true child of God? Who can deny that David's faith was genuine? Who can deny that David persevered in his love for the Lord? From his youth to his adult years, we find that the overall attitude of David's life was one of hungering and thirsting after righteousness. David was a man who desired to do God's will. David was a man who strove to honor God's word. David was a Christian man who loved Christ's sheep. He was one we could hold up the descriptions of the fruit of the Spirit listed in Galatians 5 and confirm that they could be found in David's life. And while these things are so, I think all of us are aware of the fact that there was a time in David's life, in which he strayed far from the Good Shepherd and fell deep into sin. David, a man who had a profound and passionate love for the things of God, not only gave into his lustful looks by committing adultery with Bathsheba, but was involved in a conspiracy to have his lover's husband, one of his own soldiers, killed in war, as an effort to cover his sin. David, one of Christ's sheep, strayed far from the Good Shepherd and fell deep into great sin. However, we read in Scripture that David's straying and falling into sin was only for a season. It was not the habitual practice of his life. You know the account. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, David is sitting pretty on his throne as king, thinking that he got away with his sinful activities when God in his reproving grace sends Nathan to confront David with the sobering reality that God saw everything. And God will now discipline David for the sinful choices he has made. And you remember how David responded to God's rebuke and disciplining words through the prophet Nathan. When Nathan came to David and said, David, you are the one who has committed great trespass in the Lord. We read that David was humbled. 
David was broken. He became ashamed of what he did. David admits his sinfulness before God. He makes no excuses. In fact, Psalm 51, traditionally known as David's penitent psalm, this is preserved for us in Scripture so that we will see the repentant heart of one of God's sheep when he strays from the shepherd and falls into deep sin. And the point I want to make about David is, while David did stray and while David did fall, it was only for a season. God in His grace sought after David. God in His mercy brought His sheep back to Himself. The good shepherd did not disown David. He could have wiped his hands clean of David and said, I'm done with you. You're not my sheep anymore. But he didn't. David learned from his failures and persevered in his faith. And so we read in Proverbs, the just man falls seven times, but he gets up again because the good shepherd pulls the sheep out of the ditches of this life. God did not allow David to live in a continual state of rebellion. Why? Because Scripture says, whom the Lord loves, He chastises, He disciplines. So the point we're looking at, sheep do persevere. The Good Shepherd preserves. But there are instances in which the sheep fall and stray from the shepherd. And David is one of those instances. Another example of the point I'm emphasizing is found in the Apostle Peter. Looking to the overall testimony of Peter's life, what do we find? We find a man who was a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. From the time he was first called of Christ to be his disciple in the Gospels to his apostolic activities recorded in Acts of the Apostles, we find that the overall feature of Peter's life was love and obedience to Christ. Who can deny that Peter had a burning and loyal love for Jesus Christ? Who can deny that Peter was zealous for the things of God? Who can deny that Peter was mightily used of the Lord in seeing that the gospel message be preached and proclaimed throughout the whole world to the Gentiles? Yet who can deny that there was a time in Peter's life where he strayed from the Good Shepherd and fell into serious sin? Remember, it was Peter who, when asked by others if he was one of Jesus' disciples, who said, I do not know him. Not once, not twice, but three times. Remember, it was Peter who became very depressed about what happened to his master and went back to fishing. Peter strayed far from the Good Shepherd and fell into sin. He denied his master. There was a time where he lived as if he wasn't a true believer. Nevertheless, like David, we read that it was only for a season. It was not the continual, habitual practice of his life. And we know this because we read that following Peter's denial of Christ, he not only wept, he wept bitterly. He was sorry for his sin. He was broken. He was ashamed. He was repentant. And likewise, following this time that 
Peter set his calling to preach aside and Peter went back to fishing, the good shepherd found his discouraged sheep and reassured Peter of his love for him and challenged and encouraged Peter's heart in his apostolic mission. And from that moment, what do we read of Peter? We read of one who was zealously faithful to the end. Perfect? No. Even in Acts, we find Peter sticking his fist out at the Lord and say, I'm not going to those Gentiles who are unclean. Nevertheless, God deals with him and he perseveres. So back to the point I'm emphasizing. While Christ's sheep do have lapses into sin, Scripture makes it clear that when one of Christ's sheep fumbles, fails, falls into sin, the Good Shepherd will discipline His sheep, which will lead to the repentance or turning back of the sheep to the shepherd, and there will be a continuance in the things of God. Christ's true sheep will not be marked by habitual sin. Christ's true sheep will never totally and finally fall from grace. They may stray from Christ, but they will never completely deny Him. The just man falls, but he gets up again. The sheep may wander, but the good shepherd will always seek them and bring them back to the fold. So there's truth number two. Truth number three. The third and final truth I want to emphasize is the truth that there are instances in which goats appear to be sheep and in time show that they are not Christ's sheep. There are instances in which goats appear to be sheep and in time show that they are not Christ's sheep. And the example given to us by Jesus concerning this truth is given to us in John 17, verse 12, concerning Judas Iscariot. John 17, verse 12. Jesus says, While I was with them, speaking of the sheep, the apostles, those that the Father gave to the Son, while I was with them in the world, Jesus says, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost. But the son of perdition, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. What a sobering statement. Jesus says that he preserved all of his disciples from apostasy, except for Judas, the son of hell. Now, the question as to why Jesus did not keep Judas from apostasy is a question that needs to be humbly submitted to God's sovereign choice. There is in the life of Judas a bit of divine mystery that we will never fully figure out. There are a thousand questions that could be asked concerning Judas. For instance, why did Jesus choose Judas to be his disciple if he was the son of hell? Why does Jesus say in Matthew 26, 24, that it would be better for Judas had he not been born? If Judas's betrayal of Jesus was according to the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, then by implication it means that God knew and God ordained from the beginning that Judas would always be the child of the devil. So we ask, but how and why? 
And all I'm going to say about such meditative questions is without going into unnecessary philosophical arguments and useless deductions, for some reason, known only to God, he purposed to use Judas in the way that he did to accomplish his will in fulfillment to his word. And this means, in relation to Jesus' words, John 17, 12, that Jesus did not keep Judas because Judas was not one of his sheep. Now, you may not like that, but that's true. Jesus said, I've kept all of them, but the one whom it was prophesied of, the child of the devil. And the truth that I want to highlight from Judas' example is the truth that Judas was one of Jesus' physical disciples. Now, think about this. Judas prayed... And nobody could discern from his prayers that he was an unregenerate man. Judas preached. And no one thought that Judas was off on his theology. Judas honored the Sabbath day. Judas attended the synagogue. Judas fit in among the company of the disciples. Judas did kind things for others in the name of Christ all while being a lost, unregenerate man. Judas did not persevere in the faith because he was not kept by God, and he was not kept by God because he was not one of Christ's sheep. He was a wolf in sheep's clothing. He was a goat who spoke and acted like a sheep. And let me apply this here. There are many such people among our churches, who call themselves Christians. Jesus spoke of this in Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied, preached in thy name? Did Judas not preach? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. 1 John 2, 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued, persevered with us. But they went out. That they might be manifest that they were not all of us. You see the distinction. They went out because they were not Christ's sheep. If they were Christ's sheep, the good shepherd would seek them and bring them back. Not to a specific church, but to the faith. That's what we're speaking of. They would not ultimately deny the Lord. They would not cast off their first faith if they were truly of Christ's people. Paul tells Timothy... 2 Timothy 3, 5, to avoid and turn away from those who have an outward external form of godliness who do not live in the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit along with the authoritative power of God's Word. What I'm trying to prove from Scripture is the truth that the Bible preachers of yesteryear that have been echoing throughout the ages is this truth. The faith that fizzles before the finish had a flaw from the first. The faith that fizzles 
before the finish, had a flaw from the first. And the summation of this quotation is, if you have genuine faith and you are in a state of saving grace, you will live like you have it. And you will never lose it. And if you, quote, lose your faith, it only demonstrates that you never had true saving faith in the first place. Just like Judas. Judas's quote, faith fizzled before the finish because it had a flaw at first. And this particular principle is biblical. It agrees with everything I've been emphasizing in this sermon. Jesus' sheep will hear His voice and they will follow Him. Jesus' sheep will not ultimately forsake Him or become lost because Jesus, the Good Shepherd, preserves His people. Therefore, Jesus' sheep persevere in the faith. True Christians will perseveringly, yet imperfectly, love, obey, follow, and esteem their Savior and Lord. Obedience to God will be the overall tone of their life following the time of their conversion. And just a bonus thought to my friends who want to argue that salvation is more of man's free will than God's sovereign grace. Here's a compelling question to think about. If salvation is more of man's choosing, if man can by his own power decide to follow Christ, if becoming a Christian is just about praying a prayer, walking an aisle, adhering to some Bible facts about who Jesus is, then by implication, man can by his free will choose to be unsaved. Did you catch what I said? If we are going to stay consistent and be honest in our reasoning about man's power to come to God on his own, then we must recognize that if man can believe on the Lord for salvation whenever he wants, then man can decide not to be a Christian anymore and live as if he knows Christ whenever he wants. And such a concept is unbiblical. Such a concept is hopeless. It's ludicrous because... Again, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. They follow me. I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My father, which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. If it is by man then man can at any time say, I'm done being a Christian. I've met people like this. I can remember one time in Seattle, at a carnival, we had a booth set up handing out Bibles and tracts. A very sorrowful young man came to the table and said, I used to be a Christian. I said, you used to? Yeah, I used to be a Christian. I grew up in church. I went to youth group. I used to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But then something happened. I'm no longer a follower of Jesus Christ. And I lovingly yet humbly said, there's no such thing as used to be a Christian. Either you are or you're not. What a sad testimony. What a sad testimony. So back to our question. Does Jesus preserve His people? The answer from Scripture is a resounding, affirming, joyful yes. 
Christ's sheep will persevere in their faith because they are preserved by Him. That's point number one. So then we ask, will they preserve, persevere in their faith perfectly? No. Why? Point number two. There are times in which Christ's true sheep stray from the shepherd and fall into serious sin. So what are we to think about those who used to profess faith in God, who used to worship alongside of us, who want absolutely nothing to do with Christ and His kingdom now? Well, we need to recognize the biblical truth that there are instances in which goats appear to be sheep and in time show that they are not Christ's sheep. And that's Judas. And that's those mentioned in Matthew chapter 7. Many saying, Lord, Lord, many in hell at this time are suffering who at one time would have claimed to be a Christian. There are people suffering in hell as we speak who went to church Sunday by Sunday, who were Sunday school teachers, who were ushers and deacons and pastors and missionaries. There are disciples of the Lord, Judas Iscariot, who preached and probably cast out demons in Christ's name, suffering. His lack of perseverance shows his lack of preserving grace given by the Good Shepherd. Now let me conclude with a few points of application. Having considered these doctrinal truths, what practical things can we consider? How should this Bible doctrine affect our Christian duty? Well, first and foremost, if you are here this evening entertaining a false hope of salvation, if you are a fool into thinking that you can be Christ's sheep while habitually loving the world and the things of it. If you think you can inherit the kingdom of God while continuously living in known, unrepentant, undisciplined sins, such as sexual immorality, idolatry, drunkenness, homosexuality, covetousness, fierce bitterness toward God and others, or having a hatred toward Christian people and Christ's church, then God has declared in His Word that you are deceived. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11 Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, and some people are. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Paul goes on and says, And such were some of you. That was the tone of your life. But now you're washed. You're sanctified. You're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Did you notice that God through Paul said, And such were some of you. He did not say such are some of you. No, the church in Corinth was carnal. It was not perfect. They did stray back and forth from the shepherd. But you see, it was not the totality of their life anymore. They were walking in darkness. They were of their father, the devil. Now they've been called to walk in the light as Christ is in the light. Likewise, the Apostle John, 1 John says, And hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep 
his commandments. First John 3, 6, Whosoever abideth in him that is in Christ sinneth not. This is not talking about sinless perfection. It's talking about continual, habitual sin. Whosoever sinneth in such a way hath not seen him, neither known him. First John 3, 9, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. That is, it will not be the melody of his life. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. So the application is, if you've been fooled by the modern day acceptance of, quote, carnal Christianity, this false notion that you can love Jesus and love the world equally, you can be a Christian and have no desire to obey the voice of the Good Shepherd, I'm calling on you this evening to examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. And I do so because Scripture declares that God's sheep persevere in the faith because they are preserved by the Good Shepherd. Not my opinion. God's holy word. Over and over and over and over. Now under this point, I do want to acknowledge the fact that there are instances in which someone thinks That they became a Christian a long time ago. And they, quote, rededicate their life to the Lord years later. When in reality, at that point of, quote, rededication, they truly become born again. They truly have a burning love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And if so, you need to examine that out. You need to view your experiences not in the light of what you think or what you feel, Not in the light of what others have told you, but in the light of what God has said in his word about the nature of true conversion. We need to, listen church, to for the sake of helping others in this world, we need to pinpoint this truth down. What is salvation? What does it look like? What does it mean? Because there are people who, quote, get saved, get lost, get saved, get lost, rededicate, get lost, get saved, come back to church. We can't have that. Either the new birth is a new birth that happens once or it doesn't. And again, there are seasons. There are times in which we stray. But there's got to be one definite moment in which we are called to the good shepherd. When is that? And if you've had one of these moments, well, I think here, I think there, I think here, I think there, you've got to settle it. For instance, in my life, I made a profession of faith when I was a child. I walked the aisle. I prayed the prayer in junior church. I fooled myself into thinking that was Christianity. I knew God in my mind. I never denied for one moment that Jesus was who he said he was. But that was not salvation. I loved the world. I loved the things of this world. John says, if any man loved the world and the things of the world, the love of the Father is not in him. He's right. I did not have the love of the Father within me until I was born again at the age of 16. Jesus gave me spiritual life. So I can now look back at that instance and hold it up to the truths of Scripture and say, well, was that true? When I was 16, is that real? Was that my point of faith? And I think, again, from God's holy word, I can see that at that point, 16 years of age, it was nothing that I did. It was something that God did. And from that time, He has preserved me in the faith. Not that I'm walking in perfection, but I know at that point, he's allowed me to follow him. 
So that means I have to go back and deny that time as a child. That was not true salvation. I knew God in my head, but he was not in my heart. He was not a living reality. So we've got to make this clear for ourselves, for the sake of others, for our evangelistic efforts. We've got to pinpoint these things down. We can't say, well, I think, well, I hope, maybe here, maybe there. Now, when was it? Search it out. You need to know. Now, the second point of application I want to press on your heart is the great need, church, to be oh so careful in our talking to others about the gospel and their eternal souls. If I've seen it and heard it once, I've seen it and heard it a thousand times, and every time I'm alarmed and I'm troubled with what well-meaning Christian people assume, think, say, and do, For instance, regarding those who used to faithfully come to church. Regarding those who used to be involved in church ministry. Regarding those who used to attend the Christian school. Who used to go to youth group. Who are now living with some boyfriend or girlfriend. Involved in sexual sins. Having children out of wedlock. Who are finding pleasure and satisfaction in drugs alcohol, and the most vile and perverse music. These people who are completely careless about God's Word, God's people, God's work, God's Word, and God's church. For some reason, the average church-going person will look at such a person and say, well, they're okay because they used to come to church. They walked the aisle when they were a kid. I remember when they prayed the prayer. They signed the card. They went to camp. They're just backsliding. They're just what we call a carnal Christian. I don't understand why we assume that they are okay rather than assume that their faith had a flaw at first. We assume that they are Christ's sheep. Why do we assume that? We live in a day that has accepted the fact that Christ's sheep can habitually, contently live in the sinful ditches of this world. And such a truth is contrary to Scripture. It's contrary to the teachings of Christ. And it does great harm to those who are lost and deceived. Jesus says, the good shepherd calls his sheep by name out of this world. They continuously follow him. They persevere in their faith because Jesus preserves them in the faith. So my pastoral, loving, humble application to all is, please, church, please be careful and stop giving, quote, carnal Christians a false assurance of salvation and start imploring them to examine themselves as Paul did. At the end of 2 Corinthians, Paul says to this church, now he says, and such were some of you. He does call them the called of God. He acknowledges them as Christian people for the most part. But because of their habitual living in sin and carnality, he's not sure anymore. And he doesn't want the blood of people on his hands. So he says, you need to examine yourselves and see if you're in the faith, lest you die and go to hell. You see, he didn't pat them on the back and just say, oh, don't worry, that's just Satan whispering in your ear. If you're doubting, that's just Satan. No, it's better to examine. It's better to examine a thousand times than to be wrong and die and go to hell. 
Stop telling someone who's been living like a goat for 30 years that they have nothing to worry about. Start prodding them with the questions of Jesus. Remember, Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? Jesus expects that those who call him Lord will live as if he's Lord. Listen, church, there are countless souls we need to be sincerely concerned about. Some who come into this church week in and week out. There are countless names of past church members and church kids who need to be prayed for and wept over. There are family members in your family who need to be boldly yet lovingly challenged before it's too late. So don't go to bed and just think, well, I, I, don't, I hope so. Why not ask? Prod. Buy a book. Ask the hard questions before death swallows them up. These things are so very important. Yet for some reason they've been treated so lightly among the church of God. If your child, grandchild, spouse, parent, aunt, uncle, grandparent, friend, co-worker, neighbor claims to know the Good Shepherd but doesn't obey and hasn't obeyed and has no intention to obey the voice of the Good Shepherd, then we can and we must start with the belief that it is likely that they do not know the Good Shepherd. Why? Because, as I've been saying, Christ's true sheep persevere in their faith because they are preserved in the faith by the Good Shepherd. What Christ starts, He finishes. I close with the joyful, reassuring words of the Apostle Paul, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24. Faithful is He that calleth you, who also will do it. Now some people interpret this wrongly. Some people place man's willpower in this verse. That's not what it's saying. Faithful is the God who has called you unto Himself. And guess what? Faithful is He who will complete it. The one who calls to faith is the one who will keep in the faith. That's what Paul is saying. It's an affirmation of praise. It's a point of adoration. Faithful is God who has called you by His grace and faithful who also will do it.